Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's the way banking is supposed to be. From our first Midwest Bank studios, glad that you're with us here. We'll hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com, coming up in eight minutes. Call now, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776, our phone number. Uh, we've got Jason from hometown. He won the first pair of Chicago Dogs tickets. Have you ever even heard of the Chicago Dogs? It is uh, your premier minor league baseball team on May 18th. They open their season. Uh, you can check out their website, chicagodogs.com. But I want you to go because right there in the Rosemont area, you can be able to check out the Chicago Dogs. Win these tickets for someone else. Win them for yourself. Call now. What you call right now? 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. We're going to give away some right now. And the reason why I want you to call is because I'm going to play something for you, and I want you to answer the question for me, okay? Because we got to talk about this, about Major League Baseball, before we hear from Jesse. Uh, and before I play that clip, I'll just wait for you to call to get these tickets to the Chicago Dogs. If you want to go, call now. If you're, what, if you're looking at your radio right now and you're wondering, is he talking to me? I'm talking to you. Yes, why I said that. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. So as I wait for you guys to line up to get these tickets here for the Chicago Dogs, I thought that um, that Jason Stark, who has been writing baseball for decades, did a really great job in athletic.com about a player that is an all-time great. Not just an all-time great because you see him for a game, you see him for a series, you see him for a season, and you say, oh, that guy's great. Uh, The word great is overused in Major League Baseball. But I will tell you that you are looking at a player, a player that the Cubs just played this weekend, is becoming an all-time great based on numbers. You know how baseball is so into numbers, right? Well, how about Christian Yelich? Has he turned into Rogers Hornsby? And by the way, no, you don't. Do you have a friend that's named Rogers with his first name, Rogers Hornsby? Why am I dropping Hornsby's name on you? Because only four times since 1900 has any National League hitter won a Triple Crown, and Hornsby won two of them, 1922 and 1925. What uh, what Stark was looking at is Yelich's numbers. Yelich is hitting. Uh, according to this, 364 as the time as he put this out here on Athletic. 364 batting average, okay, since the All Star break. That's what he's been hitting since 2018. 41 homers, 104 RBIs. Now, again, some of these numbers are surpassing or on the same level as Rogers Hornsby. What about Ruth and Bonds? So s- see how much fun is it to pretend that Yelich's All Star break to May Blitz. With an actual season. Let's keep it going. Let's look at the players in history who had a real season of 400 plate appearances or more that matched or beat Yelich's numbers since the break. 364, 453, 778, 41 home runs is his slash line over the last 400 plate appearances for Christian Yelich. I mean, the only two that's on this list that did that over 400 plate appearances is Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. <laughs> that's crazy. Again, we're talking about Christian Yelich, who you saw this weekend. Did you, when you saw Christian Yelich, did you think Bonds? Did you think Ruth? Did you, did you think Rogers Hornsby? Crazy. 
I'm seeing some of these other numbers on here about home runs and what Babe Ruth hit 59 home runs. No one else hit more than 24 in his prime. But then you see the numbers from Yelich. Uh, is he turning into Mark McGuire? Yelich has played in 99 games since the 2018 All-Star break, and he's launched 41 home runs. Well, I want you to think about that. Just isolate this number with me, okay? Yelich has played in 99 games since the 2018 All-Star break and has launched 41 home runs. In 1998, Mark McGuire had 43, finished with 70. Barry Bonds in 2001 had 42 home runs, finished with 73. Jimmy Fox in 1932 had 41 home runs, finished with 58. Are we looking at Yelich as someone's going to be like in the 50 to 60 home run club? Here's what baseball needs. More of this. <laughs> more, more guys that are breaking through the barrier of baseball is only about Babe Ruth and it's about the guys from the 20s and 30s and 40s. This is what's going to get baseball over when you are able to look at numbers like this and say, is Christian Yelich on the same plane as some of these all-time greats from back in the day? That's going to do some great things for baseball. And speaking of baseball, that's a, those are positives. Here's the thing that I have a problem with, okay? So this video has been out for the last couple of days. If you've seen this, then you know where I'm going with this. So <laughs> there's a video that's out there of a game involving the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks and Zach Grinke on the mound uh, against the Atlanta Braves. Chip carries on the call on Fox Sports South. And I want you to just hear this call, okay? Tell me how many pitches you hear in this call. Listen. Full count. A nice smile from Ozzy. Grinke's throwing the same pitch back-to-back. And he checked his swing twice. So, full count. What will Grinky do here? Well, he's almost gotten him to swing about three times on off-speed pitches. First time he's gone to a three-ball count. Donaldson at second, Marcakis at first. And another meeting here. Cranky says, no. nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what I want to throw. You're back there. You said, my bad. So three balls, two strikes. And now Ozzy steps out. Little indecision here. Might work in Ozzy's favor. I think they are going to have to have a meeting. Zach not too happy about it. Ahmed looks like he had to remind Murphy to put your glove on her now, so... Nobody else can read your lips. So, hopefully, everybody's on the same page here. Three balls, two strikes. Let's see if they stay off speed. 
Jody and Bradley with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Hey, Jody. Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How many how many pitches did you hear in that clip? Uh, I think zero. Are you sure? There was. I know Granky took over two minutes to throw one pitch the other day. So if that's that clip, then maybe I heard one at the tail end. Let me find out. Hold on a second. Hello, Bob. Hey, how are you? Good. How many pitches did you hear? Yeah, <laughs> impossible. I, I'm one, maybe one. All right, hold on a second. Rashawn in the loop on ESPN 1000. Hey, Rashawn. Yes. What's up, man? How many pitches did you hear in that clip between the uh, the Diamondbacks and the Braves? If I heard a pitch, it was uh, somewhere lost in the translation of static and confusion. What did you hear? Um, I, I heard a count, but I, I haven't heard a pitch yet. Okay, hold on a second. Alan Norridge on ESPN 1000. Hey, Al. Hey, Jonathan. Hey. Um, I, I heard a full count, three and two, but I don't think I heard uh, any pitches. I always have to say zero. <laughs> They're just talking and talking. All right, hold on a second. Billy and Berwin on ESPN 1000. Hey, Bill. What's up, Jay Hood? Hey, man. How many pitches did you hear? Uh, not enough. How so, many? How many? I, none. You sure? I heard, I heard a lot of talking. No name spelled backwards. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, so the ones that that chose one, or the one that chose one, that's not the winner. You heard no pitches in two minutes, so you guys are the winners. If you want the tickets, each one of those guys, you are the winners. And here's the reason why that we played that clip as we get ready to talk to Jesse Rogers on ESPN One Thousand ESPN app. The the actual video of this is the. Play-by-play with Chip Carey. And, like, also on that same clip, you see the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby ended, <laughs> okay, the first, of what, two minutes to uh, ten seconds? It The entire Kentucky Derby was performed. That It actually took place the length of that clip. I want you to think about that. We talk about, you know, pace of play and all this. How crazy is that? In the same video that's on this they show like a vague look of the Kentucky Derby. The Derby was finished, and they still hadn't thrown a pitch. Jesse Rogers joins me here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Hello, Jess. They'd fire us with that much dead dead air time, Jay Hood, <laughs> if we were doing a radio show with no action. They would they would kick us out. I hope Rob Manfred saw that one. But you know that 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 is a little unique to have that much time, but between pitches. But it underscores something that Theo Epstein has said on our airwaves several times, and that's. There is so much less action, um, you know, sort of per minute in baseball than it used to be. I think I think he said nowadays it's four minutes between time um, between balls and play, about four minutes average. Used to be like two minutes um, time between balls and play. So it, it's really slowed down. That that's a great example of it. It's a little extreme, but it's a good example. Have you seen this clip? Yeah, yeah, saw, I saw it with the derby. With yeah, the derby yeah, in the background. Yeah, the great. derby Whoever was completed. That, the derby was completed before pit. Now here's the thing. It, it, here's why, why this drove me nuts. It drove me nuts is because usually if we're watching a ball game or if, especially with you covering a game, you might be looking at your phone while all this is going on where you don't even realize how much time has elapsed. You just know it's a three-ball, two-strike count, and whether the catcher's going to go out, maybe he's not going to go out, is there going to be – usually you're okay with it because, again, we're baseball fans. We've seen it, But to be able to watch this in real time – just pissed me off. I'm just like, what's going on here? Somebody well, do something. It's two minutes, but it still bothered me. 
I'm really worried about the Belmont, which runs in a few weeks, because that's the <laughs> longest of the Triple Crown races. That's a mile and a half. And if they can complete that race before a pitch is thrown, we, baseball has problems. So I'm, 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 I'm making the Belmont like my, my litmus test there. If they, they can't throw a pitch then, we're in trouble. There's your pace of play right there. right there. <laughs> I was talking earlier, Jesse, about the just here we are here in this, this Twitter uh, atmosphere where fans are just uh, jumping off the, the ledge in the first couple yeah. of weeks. And, and again, you have to look at the season for what it is. You're 24 and 14. You, you got out to a slow start, but I, but guess what? Chris Bryant doesn't suck, and the Cubs actually are a good team. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far here as we get ready to see the Cubs take on the Reds? Well, since you brought it up uh, regarding social media, what it, social media is a terrible, terrible thing for baseball, or or baseball is terrible for social media. One or the other. It's just not good because you know, social media is is uh, is. Um, in the moment, right? And and baseball's not about moments. It's about the long marathon. It's not about making a judgment based on one game or five games or ten games or twenty games. So it's, it's social media and baseball don't go hand in. But who cares? It's it's not really important. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the pitching, and that's turned around. Let's talk about the hitting a little bit. And so much uh, talk about Chili Davis last year. Let me tell you something, Jay Hood. Uh, Chili Davis's work. Is it did not go for naught. It, there, there's some aspects of this team that have t- t- uh, that he still has implemented from last year that is still there now. Uh, opposite field hitting, for example, I give Chile some credit for that. The Cubs, since the beginning of last year, lead the majors in batting average and slugging to the opposite field. Batting average and slugging doesn't get much better than that to the opposite field. Now, what happened last year is they gave up some power for it. So I feel like this year, right now. They're, they're, they're doing the whole thing. They've got the John Maley launch angle thing going, and they've got the opposite field Chili Davis thing going. They've combined it. It's what the Cubs wanted last year, but it was too much. They couldn't do it all in one year, in my opinion. And even talking to some players and Joe Madden, they believe that Chili Davis had a positive effect on this team. So maybe it's the combination of what Maley used to teach and Chili Davis taught, and now you're seeing sort of a fully formed offense, at least so far. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month, uh, as I was just joking about with social media. Mm-hmm. But, but the here and now, this offense is as well-rounded as we've seen in a couple years. And I think it's the teachings of everybody that they've had before that, that's really uh, really showing up right now. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app on Under the Hood. So I think we know where the Cubs are headed. But what did you think of some of the opponents for the Cubs, like the Brewers and the Cardinals? Because I think they're going to be on the Cubs' heels. I think the Cubs are going to – I don't think it's a question the Cubs are going to make the playoffs. But what did you think of the other teams? Did you think that that's who they are or did they need to do some work? Well, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure the Cubs are going to make the playoffs. They'll make they're, the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, look, they're 21-6, and six, so they're looking good over the last 27 games or whatever the number is. That's not gonna, that, that stretch isn't going to continue. My point being, you bring up the opponents, each one of them so far has had a bad stretch, a good stretch, a couple of them have had bad, good, bad. It's going to continue that way in the division. I'm, I'm not raining on your parade here, Jay Hood, but the Cubs are not, not going to continue at this pace, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to go from 10 to 20 to 30 games over 500 just like that. Maybe by the end of the year they get there, but I think there's going to be some, some cycles here good and bad for each one of those three contenders. And I would view each one of them already having at least one, and maybe the Cardinals have gone through a couple bad ones already, um, but they had their good one. 
Um, we'll see. I, I think there are going to be some tougher days ahead for the Cubs. Uh, they got the Cardinals, I think, at the right time. The Cardinals had just gotten off a win streak, and the Cubs got them and moved them in the other direction a little bit. The Brewers were on a big win streak. The Cubs finally ended it, mm-hmm. and then they win the, the, the finale last night. It's like there's just you, you got to see the rhythms of the season, and I think right now the Cubs are on a high. I do think that's going to turn. It has to turn. They can't keep up this pace. So let's just see how it all plays out. But I think we're going to see cycles with all three of these teams, good and bad, and we just have to kind of step back and assess things as we go along but not make pronouncements about what's going to happen next month or, ne- or you know, towards October or anything like that. I guess that the, what I've been standing by and I will continue to is that the Cubs just have more positives than question marks. And, and whatever the question marks are, they can be fixed by the time we get to the deadline. That's honestly, I like when I look at this offense, I believe the offense is always going to have enough. And if you can underachieve with 95 wins, that's exactly what we saw last year. And yeah, so, yeah. so for this year, I know maybe a question mark that you have in the back of your mind is, is pitching, right? Especially relief pick, pitching, but can't they fix that? Yeah, no, no, you're right. And they, you're right. They can absolutely add um, all contenders usually add a, or an arm or two. It just depends on what degree is it. Is it going to be a top arm? Is it going to be, a middle-of-the-road kind of arm. So, yes, but remember, I'm just saying, again, last year at this time or certainly soon after this time, this team offensively looked great, and then it went south in the second half, and there was no rhyme or reason to it. So I think last year taught us some caution. You can't get too high or too low. Let's see how this thing plays out. At least they did turn around after a bad start. We know there's talent. We know there's good coaching there. Um, we know there's potentially a Hall of Fame manager there, so they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they've put put what happened at the end of last year in the rearview mirror. That's the good news. I think the starting staff showing up the way it has since that opening road trip has been huge, even more than the bullpen. The starting staff is this team. That, that They don't have DeGrom or Scherzer, but they have four really good ones, and if Darvish ever figures it out, they could have five. That's this team. The turnaround started when Kyle Hendricks... John Lester, Cole Hamels put this team on their back and said, we're going to stop walking, guys. We're going to make them earn it. And all of a sudden, everything started to turn. The offense has been pretty good throughout, but I I still think the offense is going to have some ups and downs, and they're kind of due for a downturn. They're kind of due for a downturn. Without Zobrist, Hayward's come down. I think Descalso's going to come down a little bit. Their their hot guys are definitely good. Baez, Contreras, Rizzo, um, Bryant. But there's a little bit of a, uh, I think, a little bit of a turn coming so my point is, you're right, they're good. Let's see how long it can continue like this. And then, of course, you do have to add. But uh, I'm not raining on anybody's parade. They're damn good. There's no doubt about it. But we're not quite there yet. They've had a good run. It's going to turn a little bit, I think, uh, in short order. What, what do you think of Kyle Schwarber to this, at this point in time? What letter grade would you give him at this point in the season? Oh, definitely uh, C. I mean, no better than that at this point. Um, yeah, I don't have his numbers right in front of me, but I know they're nothing special. Yeah, slash, you know, lines, slash lines 229, 346, 376. Yeah, now the 346 is good. Joe Madden always talks about if you could be at least 100 points higher, your OBP, than your batting average, then you're doing some good things. And he is taking walks. Now, some of those were intentional walks, but he had a stretch where he walked five times in a row. That's good. Now the hits should come after that. If you are organizing your strike zone, the pitchers, the opponents have to come into you eventually. And if they come into you, you'll have to hit your pitch. That might be his biggest problem over these last couple of years. 
He's not hitting his pitch as often as we thought he would, and certainly not as often as he did when he first came up. Um, so if he's not hitting his pitch, then he has to go out and try to hit the pitcher's pitch. And, of course, the pitchers are getting him as his strikeout totals are pretty high. So I don't know. Every, he's a mystery. I, I keep thinking he's going to break out and be that guy. And it's just there are starts and stops, starts and stops. And right now it's just it's just been okay at best. They should have traded him when they had a chance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, guys like him and Almora, they're not frontline guys that you can trade, but they're guys you can put in a package. Yeah, and I still think there's some value in Schwarber, but I do think you'd have to package him with Montgomery or with a minor league or whatever to get the true value. Um, but he certainly doesn't show the value that we were thinking coming off that World, World Series and everything. It's an American League player; it should be a DH. Actually, oh. actually, the Cubs are uh, actually the Cubs are an American League team. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to push back on that. It's it's hard for me to completely push back on that, and even more so, he might be approaching a situation where a change of scenery. Here's my opinion: a change of scenery where if he got every day at bats for a team that's still kind of coming out of its rebuild, let's say it was the White Sox, for example, as the DH, and he played 158 games, faced righties and lefties, that might be the best thing for him. I'm not ready to say that completely, but I'm closer now than I ever have been. Um, It's still May, early May. Let's just give it a little bit of time and see how he can contribute. But that's kind of my feeling. He might be approaching that situation. Um, you know, it's just weird because he was so good when he first came up. Uh, I'm going to have Dave Schoenfeld on coming up in an hour from now, who covers baseball for ESPN.com. He wrote a really good article, Jesse, about um, how he feels like the National League is like the cool league now, and, and meaning that he believes that these races that we see in the East, Central, and West will come down to the wire. And the name recognition of – I was just talking about Yelich. The, the, one of the best things for baseball is if Yelich – According to I saw this Jason Stark piece too from the um, from the Athletic talking about how Yelich is right up there with like Bonds and Ruth and Rogers Hornsby like crazy names based on the numbers that he's put up um, and so there's a lot of good young talent in the National League. Would you agree that the National League has that plethora of talent that seems to maybe be a little bit better than the American League? Well, I don't know about pure talent for talent. I'd have to investigate it, but. Right now, the National League is more entertaining and more competitive. There, there is really only one real re- rebuilding team, the Marlins, right? Yeah. Nobody else is considered in that category. Even the Padres have co- sort of come out of their rebuild. Um, that's it. So you have a lot of good competition, and it's even competition. I mean, some years it's great to have that runaway team like the Cubs were in 16. It's also fun, if you're just a baseball fan, to have tons of parity, Tons of big series, not just in September, but throughout the year. So that's why I think it's better. But there's plenty of talent in the American League. I mean, Mookie Betts and Altuve and all these guys. It's just that they're, it's concentrated more on a few teams. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros. Um, it used to be Cleveland. Now that division's getting a little bit more interesting. Cleveland doesn't look like it's, it's as good as it was. And now the Twins are emerging again. Seems like every other year the Twins are there. So, And, of course, the Angels have all sorts of talent. They can't put it together. But individual talent, starting with Listella, for God's sakes. Um, and then there's a couple guys that hit behind him named Trout and Pujols and Otani. But um, individually, there's a lot of talent in the AL. But the teams, the parity in the NL, I'll take that right now. If I had 20 bucks for every 3 a.m. Tommy Listella <laughs> tweet that you get. My God. I just love right now he's leading off for them like tonight, and he's already got two hits. I don't follow him that closely, but he's already got two hits. <laughs> I love that he sets the table for Trout, Otani, and Pujols. Crazy. Little Tommy Lestella is setting something? the table. If that team ever got any pitching, 
you didn't have to worry about the Angels, but they can't put it together on the mound. With uh, Joe Madden setting up his uh, his saloon here, have you set up your books, your Joe Madden books that you have? Well, not quite yet. You know, let it open to the public, and then maybe I'll inundate them with a few copies to sell. You know, get get some shekels out of there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I actually went to the restaurant, good food over the weekend, um, but the books will be available for Father's Day at bookstores everywhere, and that's around the corner, Jay Hood. Try not to suck. Try not to suck. Yeah, again, uh, bookstores everywhere, you say, right? Am- Amazon as well? Amazon online. If you don't like to go out and see people, I know you're kind of a shut-in in that respect. Uh, <laughs> you can go online <laughs> and get Try Not to Suck. That's enough of that. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, I appreciate it. I can't wait to see those books just lining up the window right there uh, at uh, Joe Madden's new place. Oh, if he asks, I'll put him in there. You got it. How come Quinville didn't have his? Didn't that, that's a mystery to me. <laughs> Quinville, you know Q's should have opened, right? Yeah, Q's would have been a great one, yeah. Over on the west side, that yeah. would have been perfect. Over on Ogden or something, or by, uh, you know, uh, Har- uh, Harpo Studios or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. That would have that's been a natural. Nice. Well, that's all right. Hey, that's all right. Dale Talon will open up one for him. <laughs> Maybe this so. Is Sunrise, we'll Florida. We'll see. I appreciate it as always, my friend. You got it, Jay Hood. Talk to you from Cincinnati. Take care. There he is. It's Jesse Rogers who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. Again, the Cubs will take on the Cincinnati Reds uh, with the Cubs having the night off tonight after a really solid series for them against the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, have I told you about my podcast, the Under the Hood podcast? You need to know about this Under the Hood podcast, and there's a good reason for it. We'll tell you about it. Coming up next. I tried to show him. You're listening to my mans in them, Jay Hood. Yeah. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show him. And the ESPN app. Yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Young Flame here in sickle mode. <laughs> Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood, or on Instagram, IGJHood. This portion of Under the Hood is brought to you by the fine folks over to Illinois Media School, Lombard. Phone number 630-916-1700, 630-916-1700. Job placement assistance, once you graduate, there's no excuse to go back and make yourself a broadcaster behind the scenes, in front of the microphone, a vlogger, a producer, a board operator, a smooth operator, a sports commentator, anything in media, Illinois Media School, Lombard, 630-916-1700, 630-916-1700, or go to the website, beonair.com, beonair.com. No more excuses. You want to be in broadcasting? You want to be able to do something in media? Beonair.com. Schedule a visit at Illinois Media School, Lombard. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll hear from Stacy King, a three-time NBA champion, coming up at 9-10. We'll get his thoughts about the NBA playoffs and a lot more as we move forward here on Under the Hood. Do you know about the Under the Hood podcast? Are you aware of the Under the Hood podcast? Do you know that if you don't catch my show live, and I understand, listen, we're all busy, right? Except me. We're all busy, and we always got stuff to do, right? So... If you don't catch my show live weeknights between 7 and 10, we've always got the Under the Hood podcast, created by Eric Ostrowski, by the way. He was able to put two sticks together and be able to create fire on on SoundCloud. So SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, it's on iTunes, 
wherever you download your podcast, look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. And we've got not just these shows, weeknights, but we also have additional content that may not air on ESPN 1000. There might be special interviews, special bits that we do. That's why I want you to download that way you never miss anything from this program, okay? And I got a chance to talk to Brian Hanley. You know that name? Brian Hanley was a longtime sports radio talk show host in Chicago, also a longtime sports um, writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. And I got a chance to talk to Brian about a number of things. Um, This is on the Under the Hood podcast. You can download this interview and hear it for yourself. Brian Hanley, when I talked to him about making that transition from being a sports writer to a sports talk show host. Listen. Brian, what? how uh, how difficult was the transition from being a sports writer to a sports talk show host and try to be able to do that full-time? Because I was there on the ground floor of the score in 92 watching you, you know, try to figure out your schedule and when you could be able to host and when you couldn't because you were home and road and trying to do a talk show. How? how what was that process like for you? Yeah, it, it was crazy, and I got a little bit crazier to the point you really couldn't serve two masters and, and do either justice and, and wasn't fair to the Sun Times and it certainly wasn't fair to the uh, to the station at the time when I left the Sun Times. I just I had to make a choice and um as much as my uh sports editor Stu Courtney was working with me on it and you know, giving me, you know, a college beat that would you know, allow me to, to get up in in the morning and, and do the early show and then not have the demands of a lot of night games and such. Um you know, it was just time to make a choice, and it was it was a difficult choice in the sense that I always considered myself a newspaper guy. I think, you know, Terry Boers and and anyone who's been in that business and was in it for a long time kind of you know figures that's who they are always. But you know, at the time, it wasn't a difficult choice to make the transition um, because you just couldn't go to night games and get up at two in the morning and and you know do a morning drive shift. I mean, first first world world problems certainly. Um, but yeah. um, that that was probably a back you know the days you referenced when we were first starting out the score. I was covering the Cubs, so I was at spring training, and then you know once we, we moved back north for the season, it was tough to to do the rotation with Danny Mac and, and Terry because um, you know I was supposed to be at the ballpark on certain days and on the road and all that. So um, it was tough, but it was it was great that they gave me an opportunity and uh, that I was able to do it. Uh, for all those years, and then do it full time for more than a decade uh, with Mike. So, with Molly. So, it's um, you know just it, it's it's a lot of fun, and hopefully it's um, it's not over yet. You know, hopefully there's a another chapter or another opportunity down the road. What uh, I wrote down a name right here on my yellow pad, of course. Um, <laughs> it, I wrote down a name, <laughs> and. And, and I want to ask Can you, you amplify just, on that for me. Uh-huh. Yes, I, I, I will amplify, sir. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who was the strangest sports figure that you covered? I, I wrote down the name. I hope that I have got the right name. The strangest sports figure you covered. Strangest sports? Well, there, there there are a couple. I mean, there's strange personalities, and then there's just um, there's a. I want to say it was Candy Maldonado was certainly odd. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that name, no. Well, he, he was odd in the sense that he had a clause in his contract, if I'm not mistaken, where on the road his room couldn't be on a floor with any other Cubs players or personnel. Really? And, and it just made you wonder what Candy was doing, that he couldn't have anyone on the floor that 
might happen to know him. Um, that was, but and he would also, you know, like Chet, he would wear a full length make in the summer, so that was kind of <laughs> odd too. Um, uh, boy, Joe Murphy of the Hawks, I think, you know, most of the guys on the team thought he was from a different planet, but he wasn't really a big enough star to to be concerned with. Um, God, I've covered so many. I. It's probably about, I could go list of 20 with different quirks, and they could probably turn around and find 20 sports writers and broadcasters <laughs> and make that list, too. Um, I, wrote down, the, I, I wrote down for you, from just knowing you and, and who you've covered, I wrote down Alpo Suhonen. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there's a guy. Yeah, they, it, he, was, he wasn't so odd as it was just foreign and more, you know, in the literal sense, that this guy, Mike Smith, was trying to accumulate acquire rather every Russian player, unfortunately not stars necessarily, uh, under his reign as GM of Blackhawks. And Alpo, he he would want to get out of the practice early just because he had to go buy some wine and uh, cigarettes. And <laughs> he, he, he hit happy hour, but it was like a very refined happy hour. I remember Jimmy DiMaria, the uh, great PR guy for the Hawks, he, he when we started writing know, negative stories and columns about that, that those Hawks teams, he would say, "Jimmy, the media seems to be upset with me. What is going on here?" And I'm like, well, Alpo, how long do you got? Um, yeah, he had some he had some some odd guys on that uh, on that team and at, at that time. Mike Smith, he'd walk into his uh, office at the United Center, and uh, you know, people always got been out of shape that there wasn't any hockey memorabilia or anything like if you walking into an insurance agent's office they just thought you know that mike smith was a gm in name only and didn't really have a passion for the uh for the team but alpo i mean alpo obviously i don't think he resonated with the players much he certainly didn't resonate with the fans but that probably had more to do with the dysfunction of the team more than anything else those are my my favorite Hanley stories of <laughs> of of bad Hawks hockey. John Eves Larue, the the terrible, you know, five thousand. Because that that's that's my wheelhouse. That's my Hanley wheelhouse. Oh, of you telling those stories of like five thousand people at the United Center. Oh, we you know, count them. No, we no we'd be up TV. in the press box and we we just take everyone to take a level and just you know then we add the totals. I mean, <laughs> it might be ten people in a section, right? And and we'd laugh at the announced attendance, but. You know, Bob Murray, even when Murph was the GM, you know, as much as Pulley was always the GM, but Murph actually had the title at times, you know, he would call me up and start, or wait for me to show up at the uh, at the rink, and he'd start, he'd have a copy of my column, and he'd be, you know, what is this, you know, what does this mean here? I'm like, what part don't you understand? I'll read it to you. And um, yeah. my old buddy, uh, you know, God bless Tim Sasson, we, mm-hmm. we lost him too early in life but he'd say they're like an old married couple because we'd just be screaming at each other <laughs> so murph was a little high strung and you know obviously things weren't going the way he wanted them to go and he actually to his credit he wanted to bottom out with the blackhawks when pulley had his string of 27 consecutive playoff appearances you know going and you know it was imperative that they make the playoffs not necessarily ever win a stanley cup but uh bob murray god bless him he knew that uh they were closer to the bottom and the top, and he was trying to bottom out and get high draft picks and, and build a team similar to the one that uh, ended up winning three Stanley Cup championships in a decade. So, yeah, those uh, those were interesting days indeed. So my conversation with Brian Hanley, again, it's in the archives. Look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Download that podcast, and that way you can 
always catch up on what we're talking about. Great interviews, great conversations, and, of course, the show Under the Hood that we do weeknights here at 7. Tales from the Hood is next. I go like a doctor when I rock the mic. you got to like Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Time for Tales from the Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood with you. We're from Stacey King coming up at 910. Also, David Schoenfeld on some Major League Baseball coming up at 930. There's a guy outside of our, our studios that just took, like, one of the tulips, like, you know, out front. Beautiful tulips that's grown here in the spring. He's carrying it around with him. Why? Instagram boyfriend. He's trying to frame it up for his girl. <laughs> I don't his girlfriend's in the box with him <laughs> on her lower whacker. The hell. Anyway. Jeez. Guess what I heard on Under the Hood? Brian Hanley. Anyway, man flips vehicle tried to remove spider from his leg. In Batavia, the Sheriff's County office says a man flipped his vehicle while trying to remove a spider from his leg on Friday afternoon. You know, you have that thing where you're trying to drive and all of a sudden your leg starts itching. You think something's going up it. Well, according to the sheriff's office, the Alexander, New York man was traveling northbound on Route 98 near Rose Road around 1.30 p.m. when he started a stated that a spider jumped on his leg and startled him. Deputies say that the man stated that he tried to get the spider off his leg, which caused him to go off the road and strike an embankment, causing his vehicle to slip. No one was injured in the incident. Crazy. I totaled my first vehicle because I was swatting at a bee and swerved off the road and hit a utility pole. I was 17. Uh huh. I was in front of like three cars with my friends, too, so they all saw me just swerve off the road for no reason. Well, we're going to do one day. I told you this. We're going to have two open microphones, mine and yours, and you're going to dump out all of these stories that we've never heard before. Crazy. <laughs> There's the Eric files. We're going to open those up. My God. <laughs> Burger King workers call cops on snarling woman with seven syringes inside of her. You'll pardon the expression. In, in Largo, Florida, a woman reportedly snarled at a Burger King employee as they tried to convince her to leave the restaurant's bathroom. Did I just see this on uh, live PD? Um, Police officers were eventually called to the scene when they made a startling discovery. Authorities are claiming that after taking the suspect into custody, seven syringes were discovered inside her vagina. I mean, it's a spot to put things, if you pardon the expression. <laughs> the Sun <laughs> reports that Jamie Westcott was snarling and yelling at a Burger King employee from the bathroom and refusing to leave. When police arrived, they claimed that the subject showed several signs of narcotic, narcotics usage. You don't say. She reportedly agreed to be searched, but became agitated when one of the officers felt something hard in her groin. Pardon the expression. At this point, Westcott reportedly told officers that she's blanked up. She's been charged with possession of drug paraphernalia and resisting an officer without violence. That's from The Sun. 
When people start growling at me, that's when customer service ends. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you snarling and growling. Out of my store. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many ways I can go with that. Just can't go with it. Even at 8.52, I just can't go with it. It's like there's 10 lines in my head, and, I, and all of them would get me fired. I know people around here are waiting for that, but that's just not happening tonight. Eventually it will. And not, not tonight. Not, not tonight. tonight. We're not ready yet. I know people around here are waiting for me to get fired, but it's not happening now. Uh, hey, Denver is uh, the f- first U.S. city to decriminalize magic mushrooms. Denver, the voters narrowly made Denver the first U.S. city to decriminalize uh, magic mushrooms. Decriminalization led by a slim 51% according to preliminary figures on Tuesday's election released at uh, Denver's election division. This is where it took place at Denver's election division. As many as 1,300 votes still remain to be counted, but that figure was not enough to swing the vote the other way. Denver. So when's your flight to uh, Denver, That's bonkers. There is nothing like that benefits legalizing boomers like that. Like, I don't get it. So when's your flight to Denver? Uh, two weeks. <laughs> Don't be all high and mighty. A talking community about- on mushrooms is a crazy community. You're fine with it, right? I, some people, sure. Some people can't handle those types of drugs. Oh, I see what you're saying. Some people can't handle hallucinogens at all. I see what you're saying. So, you, so, but your circle is yeah, cool. Yeah, with it. yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, but other people can't. Like, I have an old community. Like, you don't mind, like, um, you know, like a a few people, like, you know, hanging out, having fun, you know, at a party. Scenery is very important for for mushrooms, yes. Okay. So, I'd have a whole city. Right. And a bar. Nope, nope. No thanks. I think that we need a trip out there. I've, you know, I've, I, all my travels have never been to Denver. Colorado's an amazing state. Peacock's been there. She's been there for work. And uh, she talked about how the... And we did a story on, on Tales from the Hood about um, how the airport is haunted. Yes. It, it also has, like, like weird Nazi-like symbolisms. And there's supposed to be aliens underneath the airport. There's a wild stuff at the airport in Denver there. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, one other story. These are the top 15 deadliest animals on earth okay sharks six deaths a year shark attacks i thought were pretty rare wolves 10 deaths a year i think that's before i was coaching them lions Ah. lions 22 deaths a year estimates uh for lion deaths are also very rare year to year elephants 500 deaths a year Elephants are also responsible for a number of deaths per year. A 2005 National Geographic article says that 500 people a year are killed in elephant attacks. What, well, like in the in their countries, not like people coming, you know, visiting Africa or on safari or something. How slow are these people? Five. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Very fair. 500 deaths a year for the hip, hippopotamuses. Hippopotami. Um, wow. The most deadly animal in Africa. Yeah, they're supposed to be super aggressive. Tapeworms, 700 deaths a year. I get that. Parasites, tapeworms, I get right. that. Uh, crocodiles, 1,000 deaths a year. And uh, I'm going through this list here. I'm going to go give you the 
four is dogs, three, 35,000 deaths a year um, because of rabies. One of the reasons why. Right, and just their proximity to humans all the time. Which dogs? You know, I'm old enough to know that when I was first growing up, you wanted to stay away from uh, German Shepherds. That was the dog to be afraid of, even though they're the most loyal German Shepherds in the 1970s, 80s. Then, uh, Davis, what's the order? German Shepherds, Dobermans, Rottweilers, Dobermans, Rottweilers, and Pitbulls. Mm -hmm. That's it. Everybody wanted to have a Doberman because of Magnum P.I. That's that's why when that show came out in the 80s. But the German Shepherds, Dobermans, Rottweilers, Pitbulls, in that order. I think I've run away from at least four of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have. And I'll never go to that bar ever, ever again. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone. Hey, yo, J. Hood. Talk that barbershop talk, dude.